This morning's scripture reading is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and can be found in chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Uh, The passage can be found in the church bulletin on page 8 and also in the Black Pew Bible on page 951. Before reading God's word, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. May we be open to hear your truth and may we be willing to act upon that truth. We pray for Pastor Jim as he shares what the Holy Spirit has placed upon his heart. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of God. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learn Christ, for surely you have heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with a new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors. for We are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. The word of the Lord. So this fall, we are studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we've been seeing how the Christian message, salvation by grace, the gospel, creates a new kind of community. And in this community, your status is not based on your family background or your grades or your success in life. It's based on the unconditional love of God revealed in Jesus. And when you have a community of people who believe this, it changes everything. How you relate to other people, how you pursue unity, your priorities, As Pastor Mike said last week, you're free to imitate the humility and the generosity of Jesus with each other on the basis of his victory over sin and death. Today, we take a slight turn from focusing on the community as a whole to focusing on individuals who make up the community, the church. Paul says that Christians have a new identity. And we see this in the very first verse uh, that we heard today. Uh, 
in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, where Paul says, uh, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord, you, mo- you, must not, you, you must no longer live as the Gentiles live. Now, here's what's interesting about this. From, from a Jewish perspective, there were two kinds of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles is a word that in Greek and in Hebrew means just the nations. And so for Jews, there were the Jews, God's people, and then everyone else. Here's what's interesting, in- interesting here is in Ephesians, Paul is writing primarily to Gentiles. We've seen that before earlier in the letter. But then he can say to these Gentiles, you must no longer live as the Gentiles. In other words, they have a new identity, a a way of life that's going to make them different from both Jews and Gentiles. And this is what we want to try and understand today. What was this new identity exactly? What difference does it make? There are three things that we need to, we need to see. The first, the, the old identity that Paul says Christians have left behind. Second, the, the new identity that they are to put on, like a, a new set of clothes. And then third, how the change happens from the old to the new. All right, let's, let's look at each one of these. First, what, what is the old identity? I've been watching a, a funny show on Netflix uh, called The Good Place. Anyone else here into The Good Place? All right, I see some, some hands going up just a little bit. Uh, the Good Place is about a woman uh, named Eleanor Shellstrop who wakes up one day in the afterlife. She's dead, and in the first episode, she's told that in the afterlife, uh, there's a good place and a bad place, And congratulations, uh, she's made it to the good place on uh, on the basis of a a very careful calculation of her morality. It turns out that uh, every human action is assigned a score. Uh, You remember your sister's birthday. That's 15 points. You clean the dishes, 5 points. Uh, Eating vegan, 425 points. You can also lose points. Uh, For example, sexual harassment is negative 731 points. Uh, Failing to tip the waitress, negative 6 points. Poisoning a river, negative 4,000 points. It's totally absurd, but but it's funny. And there's just one problem for Eleanor. Uh, She quickly discovers that she's in the good place by accident. Uh, she didn't lead a good life at all, and she's really out of place in paradise. And what follows is her adventures as she determines to become a better person so that she can stay uh, there in the good place. And she's helped by a professor of moral philosophy who begins to take her through a crash course in ethics. He has her read Plato, Aristotle, Kant, uh, Kierkegaard, and Eleanor quickly discovers two things. First, that change is really hard, and studying about being good is not the same as being good. And second, that focusing on externals is not enough. In fact, the whole idea that we could take a score based on our outward actions 
misses so much that goes on under the surface, having to do with our motivations and attitudes and intentions. This brings us to Ephesians 4. Because we see here in Ephesians 4 something similar in Paul's description of the Gentiles' way of life. Paul's doing something here that's much more subtle than just describing the bad behavior of those Gentiles. He's going under the surface to diagnose the the natural human condition. He says four things here about it, that, that the natural condition of human beings is futile, dark, alienated, and callous. Let me try and explain what he means. The first word that Paul uses is significant, and everything else really follows uh, from it. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. The the word futility has an important background in, in the rest of the Bible. It can refer to two different things. First, the futility of idol worship. So in Acts uh, 14, 15, uh, Paul says to the people of Lystra who want to worship him and Barnabas as gods, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless, uh, futile things to the living God. So that's one use of futile in the Bible is referring to, to worthless idols, false worship. Second, Futility can refer to the emptiness of pursuing things that cannot bring lasting satisfaction. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes uses uh, this word over and over again to conclude that all transitory things in life, sex, money, power, that when you put something like that at the center of life, that they're just a meaningless vanity or, or futile, we could say. So the, the futile mind that Paul talks about here is one that's anxiously looking for something to satisfy it. The French philosopher Pascal famously described this as a kind of God-shaped hole in human beings. Uh, He wrote, What else does this craving proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. It's from this basic problem that that everything else flows. Darkness, alienation, callousness. Paul says that they are darkened in their understanding. If you have a futile mindset, then everything else you approach will be confused. It's like a story I heard from a friend recently. I I told it last week in Adult Dead. When I was visiting our former church in New York, uh, uh, a friend of ours there is a chess master and a teacher, and he was asked to teach chess to a 93-year-old woman who wanted to learn uh, from him. And he was a little bit hesitant about this idea, but he gave the woman a call, and she assured him that she did know how to play and said that she'd played over 100 games online. And so he said, okay, online chess player, I, there's, a, there's a starting point here. I can teach this woman. I'll teach you. 
But when he arrived at her home for the first lesson, he discovered something important. Uh, She did know how to move the pieces, but she was missing one vital part of the game. She didn't know what checkmate was. She had lost all 100 of those games online. You see, this is what it means to have a futile mind that, that darkens your understanding. And it's, it's how we often live our lives, moving pieces around, maybe even knowing a lot about how the world works from a scientific perspective, but not understanding what it's all for, what the purpose is. And Paul says that this leads to alienation from our creator because of ignorance, but also rebellion, hardness of heart. And then finally, in verse 19, he says the result is callousness. That's the word here for having lost all sensitivity and then pursuing meaningless pleasure out of a desperate attempt to feel something. There's a lot here, but, but... This is what I want you to see. When Paul talks about the natural human condition, he's not just condemning wrong behaviors. He's going deep under the surface to look for the roots of what drives those behaviors. This is really important for us to to recognize because it shows us that our problem is a lot deeper than we often realize. It's not just what we do, It's a matter of our hearts and their their basic orientation, either towards or or away from the God who created us. This can also help us understand how there can so often be a disconnect between what a Christian confesses and then how they live if the gospel hasn't really taken hold of the heart. Franciscan friar Richard Rohr puts it like this. Christians are usually sincere and well-intentioned people until you get to any real issues of ego, control, power, money, pleasure, and security. Then they tend to be pretty much like everybody else. We're often given a bogus version of the gospel, some fast food religion, without any deep transformation of the self. And the result has been the spiritual disaster of Christian countries that tend to be as consumer-oriented, proud, warlike, racist, class-conscious, and addictive as everybody else, and often more so, I'm afraid. Deep transformation of the self. That's what he, he says and what Paul, I think, is saying the gospel really gets at. It goes deep down. So what is this new identity that Paul describes? Look at verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ. Here's the first thing that we can say about this new identity of a Christian. It arises from a personal relationship with Jesus. The the, the NRSV translation here is, is excellent. Some other translations say that's not the way you learned about Christ, but that misses Paul's point in in the grammar of the Greek. For Paul, 
Christianity is not a new system or a, a new philosophy. It's at its root a relationship with a person. That's what sets it apart from every other religion. Theologian Herman Bavink once said, in Christianity, Christ occupies a very different place than Buddha, Zarathustra, and Muhammadu in their respective religions. Christ is not the teacher, not the founder, but the content of Christianity. That's why Paul can say Christians are to learn Christ. They're to welcome him into their lives as a living person and then to allow him to shape their priorities and, and their decision-making. What does this look like? Let's go on to verses 22 to 24. He says, You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice Paul does not say, create for yourself a new self. He says, clothe yourselves with the new self, created already according to the likeness of God. The new self is not something that you have to achieve, but a new reality that you're invited to receive by faith. Elsewhere, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. This new identity is a gift rooted in the Father's love for you and revealed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Earlier, I talked about the scorekeeping on the good place, you know, taking out the trash, five points, making the bed, two points, bringing your own bag to the grocery store, 1,958 points, according to the show. You know, I, I do think that the show is, is right, that this is our natural mindset. Always comparing ourselves to other people and asking if we've done enough. The gospel invites you to put that mindset away and to put on a new mindset defined by the righteousness of Christ. When you get this, it's transformative. You know who got this? Mr. Rogers. Maybe some of you have seen the recent documentary about Fred Rogers and his show, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers was uh, ordained as a Presbyterian pastor, uh, but he had this special calling to, to help form the minds and hearts of children through the medium of television in a way that, that no one else really has ever done and, and maybe will never do again. Uh, he ended every show by hanging up his sweater and saying into the camera, you make every day a special day just by being you, and I like you just the way you are. And in the documentary, one of the actors on the show, Francois Clemens, who was one of the first African Americans uh, uh, acting in, a, in children's television, he played uh, police officer Clemens uh, in the neighborhood, uh, well, in this documentary, he tells of the time that Mr. Rogers ended the show, just like he always did, by hanging up his sweater and saying, you make every day a special day just by being you, and I like you just the way you are. But this time, Mr. Rogers was looking right at Clemens. And after they wrapped, he, w he walked over, and Clemens asked him, 
Fred, were you talking to me? Mr. Rogers said, yes, I've been talking to you for years, but you heard me today. And Clement says, it was like he was telling me I'm okay as a human being. That was one of the most meaningful experiences I've ever had. If what we've been saying so far is true, that our natural condition is one of futility and alienation, but that God in Christ offers us a new identity as a free gift of grace, how do we do what Paul says? Putting away what is old, putting on the new. How, how do you change? Notice what Paul says in between the, the action of putting away in verse 22 and clothing yourself in verse 24. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is important because oftentimes, even for those of us who've been Christians for many years, our experience is like Francois Clemens, listening to Mr. Rogers. I've been talking to you for years, but you heard me today. It can take a long time for the gospel to penetrate to the depths of our hearts and our minds. It can take years of stripping away our old mindsets, mindsets that we've received from our families of origin or our culture or our own ingrained habits and addictions. It's not just our behavior that needs to change. We need a renewal of our minds with new desires. In the last part of this passage that we read today, really through the, the rest of the whole book of Ephesians, Paul is illustrating for his readers what this looks like, this kind of transformation. There's a lot we could say about it. Notice, for example, that Paul always pairs a negative command with a positive. Put away falsehood. Let us speak truth to our neighbors. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. You see how he does that. It's not enough just to try and stop a bad habit. You have to replace a bad habit with a good habit. But what I want to focus on here in just our last couple of minutes is, is something else. Notice that over and over again, Paul goes one step farther by adding a reason or, or a purpose for the change that he urges. He says to speak truth, for we are members of one another. People should work honestly with their own hands so as, so as to have something to share with the needy. Speak what is useful, he says, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see this? In, in every case, Paul's concerned to show that the point of change is not just so that you, Christian, can be a better person, can puff yourselves up and look down on other people. That's like moving the, the, the pieces around the chessboard but not knowing the whole point of the game. Keeping score, comparing yourselves to others just to condemn those who fall short. You know, when this is our mindset, there's really no motivation to, to really change because we're just as self-centered and prideful 
as ever before, even if on the outside, we appear to be serving others. But when we come face to face with Jesus, the results are very different. When you, when you learn Christ, you see first that, that Jesus had to die for you. That the Son of God was alienated so that you might be reconciled. That he exchanged his holiness for your impurity. That he took your death so that you might receive his life. You see the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make for you, but also you see that Jesus was willing to die for you. That he loves you that much. And when you know not just that God wants you to be a better person, to be a better Christian, but when you know that the sacrificial love of God in Christ is for you, you want to change. Not because you have to, you have to change in order to earn some place in heaven to, to get to the good place. No. You, you want to change so that you can share the love that you have experienced with others. That's where Paul is going in every case. The purpose of the virtues that he's urging the Gentiles to, to reach for is so that they might be a blessing to other people. Jesus often told little stories, you know, parables, that summarized his teaching about the kingdom. And one of them is uh, the parable of the hidden treasure. Just one, one verse in uh, Matthew 13. And Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy. Friends, as we come and, and gather around this table today, around this bread and this wine, you're invited to find a, a hidden treasure. The riches of God's grace are here for anyone who believes. In a moment, we're going to sing these words. This, the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us, what a love, what a cost, we stand forgiven at the cross. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for who you are and for all that you've done for us, for the, the love and mercy and grace that you've revealed in the person and work of Jesus. Uh, we confess that so often we come to you and the life that you've invited us to live uh, we approach is so, in such superficial ways uh, and without any of the joy that really motivates us uh, to follow Jesus. And so we pray that you would crack open our hearts uh, here, uh, even today, even in, in this moment, that you would remind us of your love and that we would see, maybe even for the first time, the depths of the love uh, with which you have loved us. Uh, that we would know the power of your grace and that we would be changed as a result. Uh, that we would uh, love as Jesus loves, that we would serve as he serves, uh, that uh, we uh, would, in, in the places where you have put us, in, in, in our offices, in our labs, 
in uh, our homes, uh, that we would be the presence of Christ to others. Now we thank you uh, that you are at work and for your goodness in all things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.